All right, let's take our Bibles. We'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <coughs> Anybody have pets here? You brought them with you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, are y'all's pets afraid of um, fireworks? Do they kind of run and hide from that? Yeah, our dog is. I took her out. She was telling us, I got to go, I got to go. You know, she's got to relieve herself. Gets to the door, hears one big boom, runs back inside. I won't see her until probably Tuesday. <laughs> she gets so scared of those fireworks. But uh, they're definitely going already. And they'll be going all night into the wee hours, and then they'll go tomorrow night too, just to get rid of everything. But uh, we're not setting off fireworks here tonight. We are going to study the scripture. There's four things I wanted to go over with you about what we should be thankful for. Uh, the reason why I wanted to do this for the last uh, sermon of the year is because I think it's a good place to be as believers, as children of God. If we are constantly in a state of thankfulness, it's very hard to be bitter. I remember when I got to high school, there was a big difference in the quality of work. You could kind of get through it half-heartedly if you're going through elementary school, going through middle school. The first time I really remember being challenged in middle school was in history class, um, where you had to do a mental map. Does anyone remember doing that? My uncle remembers this because he was teaching us. Um, I was getting taught at Webb Middle School, but my uncle was helping me out at home. But you had to do that mental map, and you got points for how many countries, continents, you know, all that kind of stuff that you could put on there. Um, but you could not exempt out of it. And it was not, oh, if you just do this much, then you'll pass. It was pretty much testing your knowledge of what does the world look like? Where are these places at? And I remember that's where I really started to be challenged as far as putting effort into school. Then when I got to high school, I failed algebra three times. You only have four shots, you know, <laughs> uh, unless you're going to go for the fifth and sixth and be that guy in high school that's an actual adult who can be charged if, if a crime were to happen. <laughs> um, but I remember realizing the quality of your study and your work changed. And I remember feeling that same shift when I started taking my Bible college studies more than just academically. When you really apply yourself and when you yield to the new nature that you have within you, it's very hard to get stuck in that old nature again. I want you to think of it as, you know, there's, there's two people inside of you. I know this sounds a little weird, but just think of it in this illustration for a moment. And you're choosing to feed one person over the other. And the person who's going to be stronger and be able to win um, in, a, in a battle of strength is going to be the one that has more nourishment. When you're a thankful person, especially as a child of God, which there's a lot to be thankful for, the four points I'm going over tonight are just four of many that we could go into. When you're a thankful person, it's very difficult to be bitter. And I, I remember I was in uh, history of, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the class, but Dr. Phil Myers was teaching it, and it was the second part of that class. And we went through Hezekiah's um, situation where he had Sennacherib, and they were um, besieging Jerusalem, and Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he sent some messengers forward, and Hezekiah sent some messengers forward, and the idea was they were going to talk amongst themselves to try and come to some type of resolution. Well, the ones, the messengers that Sennacherib sent were very smart in the idea of causing chaos, okay? You want to cause chaos, you start telling people directly beyond their source of authority. Um, if you think about the way our government is run today, if you start getting, if we all got an alert on our phones that bypassed the government and started telling us that there was a bomb on the way or something like that, and we all needed to take shelter, people would, you'd have panic because there's a trusted source and it's telling you information, but it's not verified, but everybody's getting the same notification. Well, when Sennacherib's messengers came out, they bypassed the ones that Hezekiah sent, and they spoke directly to the people. And they said, you look at Sennacherib's history, and people that are doing what you're doing, they end up eating one another. That's what happens when you siege a city. You cut off anything from coming in and out. And it's a very long process, but one of two things happen. The people die 
of starvation and dehydration inside the city walls because you're not getting water coming in, you're not getting food coming in, and they resort to cannibalism. This is a known verified thing in sieges. Or you surrender to the power that is um, sieging your city and then you're taken as slaves or you're killed. It's, it's really up to the body that is doing the sieging. But Sennacherib's representatives, they went and spoke directly to the people. And their idea was, we're going to cause so much chaos, so much panic, that King Hezekiah is not going to have any choice but to submit to us. And they spoke very confidently. They spoke in the Jewish language. And Sennacherib uh, spooked Hezekiah. And Hezekiah ran into the temple of the Lord. And this was, now he had a letter from Sennacherib with his intent of what he's going to do to the children of Israel. And Hezekiah presented those letters before the Lord. There's a really good account of this where he asked the Lord to look with his eye and to bend down his, his ear and to see this heresy that was being said by Sennacherib as if he were the king of the world, as if he were the one that controlled what happened to God's people. And Israel was delivered from that situation. And I remember being in historical books too, and I read that story, and Dr. Myers was teaching on it. And I don't know if he's, you've probably experienced this, but when somebody's talking and you start thinking, and all of a sudden they just become background noise, I may have just been background noise to you now. But you start focusing on something different, and Dr. Meyer's voice just kind of disappeared into background noise. And I started thinking real seriously about King Hezekiah and what he did. He ran to God with the full expectation that God could deliver him. And he wanted God to be the one that worked, not his power and his prowess, because Sennacherib was his powerful king, powerful ruler. And their two, his two messengers were speaking from things that had already happened in other cities. But Hezekiah, as a leader, submitted to the power of God. And I remember we had a 10-minute break, and I walked out of the classroom, which was all the way back in the TNT room in the back. I walked the whole length of the college. I walked all the way up here, and I sat down on that well. And I really started to think about, what am I doing in, in Bible college? I was a junior Excuse me, that was, yeah, that was my, the, the second semester of my junior year. And I was just, you know, getting grades. Everything was fine. My focus was Youth Ranch. That was my baby. I was just, we studied for that every week, and we had new ideas, and it was exciting, and it was just a great time. But I was kind of going through the motions without really yielding to the Lord. I mean, you can, you can cheat yourself out of a good Bible college education, even at Florida Bible College of Tampa, when you just do it to get the grade and you're not letting the word have an impact on you. And I started to think there, if, if, if I'm going to be of any value past my education here, I need to start actually applying myself to the Lord, not just to my teachers and my grades and you know, the standards to graduate. What am I doing this for? Am I going to get to heaven and stand before God and say, you know, I got an A in historical books, that's sufficient for the rest of my life? I got an A in uh, personal evangelism. That's sufficient for the rest of my life. Those are just grades. Those things are going to go. What is this knowledge that I'm receiving from the Word of God? What is this doing to you? What are the out, what's the outcome? And I, I was moved, and I started to weep. And I realized that I was just not thankful for what I'd already been given. And I realized that if I wanted to really be able to succeed past my education... And, you know, past the comfort of this church, I was very blessed to be here because everything has been provided up to this point in in the story that I'm telling you. I was given an opportunity to be the head deacon. That's exactly what I prayed for. And I was given an opportunity to do the youth group. That's exactly what I prayed for. And I was able to run it the way that I thought was going to work for the teenagers in the culture today. And Yankee, he gave me that freedom. And he coached me through my process and all of that. And I had so many people praying and I could lean on them and all of that. But I realized that I was using those things as a measurement of success. And I wasn't on a one-to-one basis with the Lord. Was I truly thankful for what I've been given? Or am I trusting my own talent, my own ability, the situation to get me through? (coughs) And it really shook me to the core. Well, needless to say, I was late coming back to class, and Dr. Myers noticed that obviously this 
student who was fine in class now comes in for the second half of class and he's not focused, he's not paying attention. And we chatted for several hours after that and I, I kind of told him what the Lord had put on my heart. And I went away from that experience having a fresh perspective of thankfulness. And I want to say, it's not going to be true, but I want to say every day I try to be thankful. I try to recenter myself on thankfulness because you can get real busy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're thinking about things right now that have to be done. And if we're not careful, that'll begin to dictate everything in our lives. We're just running a schedule, running a to-do list, and the Lord is there when we need Him, and we know that, and we'll, we'll, we'll call on Him when we need Him. We rob ourselves of a lot if that's the way we live our lives. It's, it's this active attitude of thankfulness that keeps us from getting bitter, from being busybodies. Y'all know what a busybody is? You're just busy doing really nothing. You just have things that you're doing, but it doesn't really matter. You've heard the phrase, going through the motions. Well, that's exactly what you end up doing. You're just getting things done, but it's not really for anything. There's no transformational change. I kind of like to avoid using phrases like transformational change, but I think it's good in the right setting. The gospel should change you. Not to say it's a proof that you're really saved, but it's a proof of, do you realize what's been given to you? I've seen people trust Christ as Savior, and there's nothing different about them necessarily in their countenance. I see this with young people. You'll lead them to the Lord, and, and they have not had enough bad experiences in life to realize how good they have it right now with eternal life. And I've seen some people, I mean, notably, I had an experience when I was Friday Night Soul Winning years ago at Brandon Mall. We were at Blondie's Cookies, which is just... If you find yourself there, Godiva's closed or there is no Godiva or something. I mean, I would take a pack of Oreos over anything that Blondie's Cookies has. But uh, Ryan Pasternak was with me, and he loves, he loves Blondie's Cookies, the sugar cookie. I don't. But he was my soul-winning buddy, so we went. And I treated him. I was like, oh, you want a cookie? We can get one. That's good. And as we were normally doing, uh, we talked to the lady behind the counter. She was probably in her 20s, like, like we were. And I said, you know, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And she looked like, like we had been walking along with her for the past three days because she said, I've been trying to get an answer to this question for a while. I've been thinking about it. So obviously right there, as, as somebody who's trained in the doctrine that the Holy Spirit is working on every person, I knew that this was a divine appointment. You know, I'm, I am right where I'm supposed to be. She is right where she's supposed to be. And Ryan's desire for Blondie's sugar cookies is from God, <laughs> you know? And we went through and led this, this young lady to Christ. And immediately, I mean, as soon as I was getting to things like good works could not save you, you saw her countenance change. Her tears were getting well, welled up in her eyes. She was notably, like visibly shaken because she knows I'm trying to be a good person and I can't be good enough. You know, all these requirements that religion says I must meet, I don't meet them. I'm an honest person. I am not good. I know that. Then you get to Jesus Christ and she's lasered in because she knows this is where it's at. You share with her all that the Bible requires for you to be born into eternal life, to inherit that free gift of eternal life, is to believe. And when I asked her, does this make sense to you? She whimpered an answer and said yes. And I said, you know, the best that you know right now, would you put your trust in Jesus Christ who died for your sin? And she said yes. And I just remember, you know, at this point, she's crying. I'm not. I'm, it's been a long day. I was tired. We had just been around the mall for over an hour. But I was still impacted by that. I thought, wow, how good it is. She's in her 20s, and she trusted Christ as her Savior, and she is beside herself. I got saved when I was 12, and I went about doing the, what I was doing. It's just a big difference. I remember the next thing that happened was her manager came up. It was very close to closing time. And the manager was talking, and obviously you see two guys, your employee is crying. I think he was concerned. He said, everything okay out here? He wasn't hostile or anything, but you can know he was trying to figure out what was going on. 
And I shared with him what had just happened to her. And I started to witness to him. I shared the gospel to him. And he said, oh yeah, I trusted Christ a long time ago. And I wish I could tell you what happened after this next part, but we left because it became a little tense. But his employee that just got saved looked at her and said, you already knew this? And it was with the tone of, you didn't tell me about this? And Ryan and I just you know, excused ourselves at that point because obviously they have something to talk about. But you got two people, one who just got saved, one who's been saved, and the priorities were different. I think the idea of, of being thankful for our eternal life helps us when it comes to sharing the gospel. Don't, aren't you glad that somebody reached you? I think of my friend Ted Horton who lives in Alabama now. But he used to live right over here in Brandon. And he got saved listening to Dr. Hank Lindstrom on Bible Line when he was running the show every day. And now Ted is in Alabama. He has a prison ministry. I've read, I've read through his uh, material that he's written. It's crystal clear. He's leading prisoners to Christ and then equipping them to share their, their faith with other prisoners. There's no better person to reach someone in prison than someone who's already in prison. And you just realize, I mean, Ted Winton did something with his faith. And yet I know of many Christians who fall away from their faith back into their old nature and, and they don't really do anything for Christ. And a lot of those Christians become bitter because the Christian who's actually doing something for the Lord is a natural rebuke to them. I do this in counseling when I'm counseling couples. You have one spouse that wants to walk with the Lord and the other doesn't. They're both saved. But one is walking in their flesh and one is walking in their spirit. And I tell the one that's walking in their spirit, your Christian life is either going to be a chastening to your spouse or a rebuke. And if it's a rebuke to them, you know where they are with the Lord. If your spouse is mad and bitter and jealous because you're walking with the Lord, that means that they're not. There's unity in the body of Christ. When there's not, there's pride. And that becomes a problem. And these things come up because people are not thankful. So these four things that I've outlined for you tonight, very simple. But I think we should really staple them to our resolutions. If you got resolutions, by the way, that's not a bad thing. I think sometimes people think I come off as pastor's anti-New Year's religion. <laughs> religion. New Year's resolution. No, no, I'm not anti-resolution, but I don't want you to make a commitment for something that's going to last the whole year. Do it today. And then when the day's over, thank the Lord, wake up the next day, thank Him and commit to that day. Just take it day by day. Because I think a lot of people ha end up having New Year's resolutions that just don't go anywhere because they're trying to bite off way too much. Way too much. All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 through 58. The first one here, we should be thankful, and I thank the Lord for victory in Jesus Christ. Victory over sin, victory over the grave. You know, to have victory over the grave means you're going to experience a resurrection. Now, we're living in a time where our resurrection will occur at the rapture. Um, if we're here, when it happens, and I, I like to think that I'll be here, I know my wife believes that she's in the rapture. Every major event, I've told you, she always says, if, we, if we're still here, if we're still here. But those brothers and sisters in Christ who have passed away, like our brother Brian Anderson, he passed away a few weeks ago, he is waiting to receive his new body. But because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and because Brian placed his faith in Jesus, he will have a new body. And that's exactly the order in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And what Paul, who also realized this now, Paul yet does, does not yet have his resurrected body, when he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he knew whether he was going to be raptured or whether he died, he is going to thank God for the victory through Jesus Christ, that victory specifically being the fact that we will not end at death. Isn't that nice? Death is not the end. Now, when you read Ecclesiastes, uh, that's not a happy devotion, by the way. You read Ecclesiastes, there's a lot of things in there that just talks about the finality of life. Think of all the plans that you make. As soon as you die, those plans die too. And yeah, you could trust somebody to do that, but they're not going to do it the way you intended. 
And that's what Ecclesiastes talk, is, is talking about. But isn't it good that we have something beyond what we set up here? We have Jesus Christ, and we have the victory in him. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There are people on the internet right now that are getting ready to make videos that attack Dr. Arnold. They attack me. They, had, they attack Dr. Kakuza because we teach that Christians should work. That Christians should be disciplined. And when Christians are disobedient, they should be rebuked. People think that's wrong for some reason. Do you know how you get to that conclusion? You don't work. <laughs> when you don't work and everything is handed to you, you're not going to see the value of hard work. I remember when these attacks started coming. It's been two years now. I was actually at Jan and Lucia's house. And I remember, I, I don't, Jan, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this lady was just going off on Yankee. And I was like, who is this? And I clicked on the channel and she has thousands of subscribers. And I thought, ooh, interesting. What's going on here? And I saw there's actual videos and they're like 40, 50 minutes long. And she's going on and on and on about this idea of, you know, beating the sheep and there is no work for the believer. And I'm going, literally, I was looking at Jan. We looked at each other like this. What? How do you get to that conclusion? You get to that conclusion because you don't work for the Lord. You're a fast food Christian. What do I mean by that? Every meal is prepared by somebody else and quickly. You have no idea how to prepare the word. You rely on somebody else. Well, they got into some vein and this vein of thinking. I go to talk to Dr. Arnold about it. He says, yeah, it's not new. <laughs> he didn't know that it was going on, but when he was at FBC, he didn't know it was going on at the time that we discovered it. But when he was at FBC, there was this thing that started sweeping the dorms about, he called it the Spacey Gracies. <laughs> and it was like this idea of, we don't do any work. Oh, no one should be mad at each other. No one should tell you what to do. You know, we're all in Christ together, blah, blah, blah. Well, Paul, I guess he broke that rule. When we studied this morning, what did he say to them? Oh, I, I know it's hard, but good job, you carnal Christians. No, he said, I would tell you more, but you're not ready. You have divisions and envying and strife. That doesn't sound like unity. What ends up, how, how do you end up being in that position? You're not thankful for the victory that we have through Jesus Christ. You forget, you become short-sighted instead of seeing the big picture. But this verse tells us, 57, we're thankful to God for the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at Colossians chapter 1 in verses 11 through 12. By the way, when I uh, told Dr. Arnold about that, he just laughed. And it reminded me how much experience he has. <laughs> he's there are things that I have yet to see that he's seen four times. You know? <laughs> and that's because he's such an old wise man. He's a wise man. I'm thankful for him. I really am. I really am. Colossians 1, 11 through 12, we should be thankful for our inheritance, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Now that's interesting. I think many people would say, well, if we're patient and we're suffering for a long time, you know, we're long-suffering, how can you be joyful? Well, because you're looking beyond the, the, the temporary here. Giving thanks, okay, that's the action, to who? Unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, that funeral I went to on Friday, there was, uh, George Heckman was there. You all know George and uh, his wife, Linda. They're missionaries to Ethnos 360. And George was saying that Brian, who passed away, was a saint. He was saying that in a pretty Catholic-looking church. <laughs> And some people would go, no, no, he's, he's not a saint. There's only saint blah, blah, blah that are on the candles at Walmart. You can't, there's nobody else. No, no, but we're saints. 
Why? How? With, with, what, what degree? What school did you go to so that I could call you such? You're a child of God. That makes you a saint. Now, you should act like it. Hello. <laughs> but many people don't. But what is being said here is we should thank the Father for what? That we can take part in the inheritance. Read that again in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us. Now, how, how is one made meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light? Well, there's a couple things to focus on here. The first thing is, in what? In light. Okay, that's got to be talking about eternal life. It has to because, God, there is no darkness in him. And if it's made us meet to be partakers, that means we get to take part in something because we now meet the qualifications specifically the qualifications for an inheritance, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ, and that eternal life is the inheritance. Hebrews 10 talks about that in more detail, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 9. But now we have this instruction here. Paul is setting the example. He says, I'm thankful that we can take part in this inheritance. So then we turn the question to ourselves in Bible study. We say, am I, Jesse Martinez, as a child of God, Am I thankful for this inheritance of eternal life? And I look at what I've done up until that point, and I answer the question, or I look at my attitude, and I say, yes, or no. And then if it's a no, you change it, and you become thankful for the inheritance that we have. My family is not wealthy. Okay, I, I'm, I'm not looking forward to millions and millions of dollars when my father passes away. And I'm not hoping in that to solve all of my issues either. But folks, when it comes to my heavenly father, my inheritance is everything. It's the eternal life that I have right now. That helps you every day. And I, I cringe when I hear believers say they need more. There's more that they need from God when they don't realize your eternal life is more. <laughs> It's significantly more. Well, how do you get to the position where you start asking God for something else? You forget that. You start changing the standard of success. Yes, I'm going to heaven, but I don't have a car that works. So I got to do all of that. Or my net worth is not high, as high as I want it to be. Okay, well, my net worth, according to God, is the price of Jesus Christ. Am I going to let the United States of America and its financial system determine whether I'm really you know, on high net worth? No. <laughs> I'm going to let God determine that. So now with that mindset, it doesn't matter what the government says about me. It doesn't matter what my taxes say about me. It, it matters what God says. You can really be dangerous to the world as far as the world's wicked system when you live like that. That's why, honestly, when I see a lot of these Hollywood actors and stuff, you know, claim to be godly and stuff, it's like, that's really easy to say from your position. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. I remember when Chris Pratt kind of went on this whole <coughs> God thing, and then he's landing every film left and right. And you see some of the work he does, and it's not God-honoring. It goes against Christian principles, but then, you know, he turns around and says, you know, praise be to God. Well... I don't know if he's saved or not, you know, I'm not saying his actions determine that, but there's a lot of people who are trying to sell you something too, and they'll use God. Second Peter talks about this, where it says they make merchandise out of you. It's such a beautiful phrase. It's such a beautiful phrase, because that's literally exactly what they do. Oh, buy my book. Y'all remember public access TV? It's still around, not as big, because there's YouTube, which is the new public access TV. But I remember discovering public access TV and seeing some of the things that were going on there and going, there's no way that someone's actually calling this 1-800 number. Now, these guys are, you know, con artists, so I'm sure they're like, oh, we're running out of material, you know, blah, blah, blah. People are calling left and right, and the phone's over there unplugged. It's not even ringing. But people will believe a lot of that stuff, and they'll end up paying $50, $60, $70 one time for some type of over-the-phone blessing. I've seen it all the time. Go look it up on YouTube, on Google, these old public access TV things. And then come to find out that Dr. Lindstrom used to be on public access TV 
And people got saved through that. I'm fairly certain. I might be misspoken here, but I think that's how Dr. Polson came to the Lord. Is that right, Louis? I think that's in his book, that he was watching um, that show that Dr. Lindstrom was doing. I'll have to verify that with him. And that reminds me of Dr. Polson and Nancy. Continue to pray for them. She's on and off as far as her health, but you know she does have terminal cancer, and it's just a difficult situation. Dr. Polson wishes he was here. I miss seeing him over here all the time. And Nancy as well, but just continue to pray for them. But there's a lot of people that want to make merchandise out of you. You don't need to buy any other kind of Christianity. You already have Jesus Christ, and that comes with the inheritance. Be thankful for that. Next thing here is for one another, being those in the body of Christ. First Thessalonians chapter 3, would you look there with me? <clears throat> Starting in verse 7. First Thessalonians chapter 2 is a really nice part of the letter. Paul says to them, uh, bear with me a moment. He says, you guys were so good to us. You received what we taught to you as if it were given to you directly from God, not just from the, mouth, from, from the mouths of men. And he warns them about some things in four, in, in chapter four and in chapter five, he kind of closes it out. In chapter three, he makes this statement starting in verse seven. Therefore, brethren, we are comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. So what does he mean by your faith here? Most likely to mean the, the outward appearance of their faith. They're remaining faithful according to what they have believed. Now that doesn't mean that what they believed, excuse me, that doesn't mean that they believed correctly, because we know a person can have the appearance of righteousness but not be saved. And that's the Matthew 7 people, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things? What's the difference between you who have put your trust in Christ and those people who have done all these things? You put your trust in Christ. They put their trust in their good works. But Paul's saying, I'm comforted as I am being afflicted on my missionary journey. And I think back to you, I'm comforted by your demonstration of faith. You are a comfort to me. Verse 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? You know what this phrase means? I've said it over and over. How much more could I say it? What thanks could I say now to God that would be new for you? You know what this realizes? Or excuse me, you know what this should help you realize? Paul thanked God daily for these believers. Now I'm going to ask you a question and you may seem, well, that's overkill to thank one another you know, thank God for the, our brothers and sisters at Calvary Daily. Is it? And if it is, I want you to tell me why. Why is it overkill to thank the Lord every day for our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Calvary? Well, the answer is it's not overkill. It's actually very healthy. It's a part of our healthy walk. Here's how this happens. You start thanking God for the people at Calvary the next time you see them, you're going you're gonna to love them. I've been praying for you. Sometimes, I, you know, people have trips and stuff, and they're, they're gone for a little bit, and they come back, and I genuinely am really excited to see them. It wasn't always like that in the church I grew up in. It was kind of like if you didn't come to church, it was like, mm, why? What have you been doing, you know? If they had like season tickets to the Bucks game, they would like wear the bags and stuff. So I'm like, I don't want to be on camera and they see I'm still I'm still in town. It was easy to wear a bag over your head as a Bucks fan. <laughs> Just watch how they did today. They were doing that for years. Anyway. But that's kind of the expectation. Like, oh, where have you been? You know? Genuinely now, when people come in here, I, I, I think I at least speak for myself. I hope this is true of you too. When you see somebody that hasn't been here for a long time, it should be how are you? I've missed you. How you doing? And more often than not, that kind of response, if somebody's going through something, they're struggling with sin or they're struggling with difficulty, they can't hide it. They say things like, I'm struggling. It's been tough. And you've been praying for them daily, or at least often, and now you get to sit alongside them and they know you're not faking it. You're not just coming up there and saying, and you're patting the back to, you haven't been to church. 
you're not really, really good like me. No, when you genuinely care for people, you've brought them to the Lord, you've delivered them to the Lord, you've had intercessory prayer for them, and then you see them for the first time in a while, you're, oh, how are you doing? I've really missed you. And that's, people pick up on that genuineness. You know why? Because that's the Holy Spirit. That's your new nature coming through. Some of you are naturally gifted in that, and that may be a gift. Some people are not. Trust me, I've seen some people, they're just not gifted with communication like that. Okay, they're not doing anything disobedient. But does that mean, well, it's not a gift of mine. Joy is not a gift, so I'm angry all the time. (laughs) Good luck with that. It's not going to fly at the judgment seat. Well, Lord, you didn't give me that gift. Really? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations instead of those who have been blessed with anger? That's not what that says. (laughs) This thankfulness will change your perspective. It literally changes how you view others. And that's very important, especially when we think of Philippians chapter 2. Esteeming others over ourselves. It really is joyful when you get to do something for somebody else. When you get to serve. That's, That's what I'm called to. That's what our deacons and our elders are called to. We, we just rewrote a bunch of policies. We didn't rewrite them, but we clarified some things, what it means to be a deacon and what it means to be an elder. And I went through. I spent several hours going through each chapter and verse on what does this mean? And I came to the one where it says, not a novice. I said, well, what does that mean? And th- I wrote something like this. I said, it's not an opportunity for prideful ruling, meaning, oh, I'm somebody, I'm an elder, It's an example of um, uh, humble leadership, like Jesus led. John 13 is very important when you see the example set when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He created them, and he, he did that. Peter understood the significance of that. He said, no, no, you're... You're who you are. I'm who I am. I should be doing that to you. But Jesus demonstrated what true leader, what godly leadership is. And he did that. That gets me every time. Because there's a lot of people in my position, in the position of a deacon or in the position of an elder, that lord themselves over the flock. Oh, you're obedient to me. You, You are accountable to me. That works for some things. Like if you're in ministry... You know, Trent, Robert, Jeff, those Sunday school teachers, they're accountable to the deacons and the elders of the church as far as doctrine and stuff. But their spiritual success is not determined on how they report to me. They serve the Lord just as I do. But what Jesus demonstrated in John 13 is proper leadership. And if you're not a thankful person, if you hate the people you serve, it's not going to last. It will not last. And then finally, we should be thankful for all things. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20. All things is a pretty interesting command. Uh, It literally means all things. The Christianity we see today, I call it the Joy FM Christianity. By the way, I listen to the Joy FM from time to time. It's better than a lot of the other stuff that's out there. But I also turn the radio off when I get to certain songs because it's like, that's not biblical. But there's a lot of this attitude of everything in life is always good. It's, it's always good. And if it's not, you know, well, you just got to make it good. It's like we could do a lot more than just tell people to lie to themselves that it's good. There are bad things that happen to us. We live in a sinful world. But if we kind of lull ourselves to sleep, uh, it's only going to be a matter of time until we break. I think I saw a guy when I was coming down Benjamin, I was telling Kyla, I'm like, I think this guy has snapped. He's just walking in the middle of the road. And he walks over to the side when traffic comes on, and I look in the rearview mirror, you know, I'm going 30 miles an hour down Benjamin there. And I look at this guy, and you can just see, it's just like he's got a cigarette in his hand, and he's got a hood on, and he's just talking and talking. I couldn't see any earbuds or anything, and it's just like, 
man, people snap. There's just things that happen where you're walking in the middle of the road now. How do you get to that place? Well, you get to that place as a child of God when you lie to yourself about the circumstances you're going through. Not everything that happens to us is good, but it will come out for good. Think of all the Christians that died for their faith. Those things that happened to them were wicked. You go read some of the things that Nero did to Christians. I remember I used the software. I used it here at the church years ago. It was like one of the only reputable software services uh, for burning CDs. It was called Nero. And then I learned later on in church history class that King Nero did that to Christians. And I thought, what a weird coincidence to name a CD burning company Nero. You find out there's all that kind of evil everywhere all the time. It's hidden in stuff. But Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 says this, giving thanks always for all things unto who? God. And the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank God through Jesus. Do you see a pattern here? Jesus is the one who gives us the ability to be thankful to God for these things. And we're supposed to do it, according to this, with everything that we go through. And I like to back into verse 19, because this is important. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's like this idea of like, well, I don't, I, I'm not a good singer, therefore I shouldn't sing. I really disagree with that. I'm not saying you have to sound like you were trained at Juilliard in order to, to don't sing unless you're really good. I think it's fine to sing out to the Lord, whether you sound good or not. You're not I was talking to Stephanie. You know, I wish that I was here for her graduation. I'm so disappointed that we were sick that week. But I practiced with her like four or five times after class. And guys, she was shaking, real nervous. And she looked at me and she was like, were you nervous when you first sang? And I said, I'm nervous when I preach. I get nervous sometimes. still happens. She says, well, what do you do? <laughs> and especially when I thought of the first time I ever sang, which was I sang the song, Thank You, Lord. It was right here. I was dressed as some little kid character for a, a, a play. And I'm telling you, right there, I sang Thank You, Lord, and you couldn't see it. I had to wear a blanket over my legs because of how badly my left leg was shaking. I played the trumpet for seven years, and I was always told to have a, that I had a natural vibrato, that I could really make the trumpet, you know, you know why? Because my leg is going, I was so nervous. I would go into solo and ensemble, and I would just, like this, I could still do it now. Are you okay? Do you need to sit down? I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> Bracing myself, you know? She's like, well, how do, you, how do you change that? Over time, you get over those nerves because you realize who you are singing for, who you are performing for, who you are thankful to. I mean, no disrespect to you all, but when I sing a solo, or when, and I told Stephanie, when you sing a solo, you're not singing it for them. You're singing it for the Lord. The idea is to get everybody to focus on what you're saying and not you yourself so everybody's giving thanks to God. That's why I think it's really beautiful when you hear somebody who does not sing well, but they still sing competently. You realize, you go from this idea of, ooh, that's really bad, that's embarrassing, ooh, cringe, to, hey, they're singing for the Lord. That's the difference. That's the difference. Some of y'all, now I just convinced you to join choir. <laughs> you know? well, we should sing for the Lord. And I like that verse 20 is built off of verse 19. We should be people of, of song. We're going to be singing to the Lord forever. And trust me, you will have no problems in heaven. Okay? You're going to sound great. I guarantee it. But we don't have to wait until we get there. And you know what that does when you start singing to the Lord? It's something natural within you. And you start realizing, man, I've got it so good. I have it so good. Why? Because I've got Jesus. 
I've got eternal life. I've got people to pray for and people to love. They don't need to love me, but I'll love them just as God loved them. That's a, that's a different kind of person. We don't see that today. We don't. And it's sad. I want to see more of that next year. I want to see more of that in you. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, December 31st, 2024, I'm going to go, I never saw it in Louie. Mm-mm-mm. I guess he really doesn't care. I'm not looking for them to grade you. But I'll be able to tell, and others will be able to tell the change in you. What did you do? you start going to bed earlier? Did you cut sugar out? No, no. I started realizing how, how thankful I can be to the Lord, how much he's blessed me with. That'll come out when you soul win, too. People can tell when you're just getting through the motions like a salesman. You know, you could sell the gospel or kitchen knives. <laughs> Doesn't matter. If you're just getting through it to get through it, people can tell. I think people can naturally pick up, uh, pick up when someone is authentic and they see that you care. I remember talking to a guy down at Citrus Park. He was probably 15 or 16 years old, and I was 21 or 22. And I remember talking to him, and he was just, we, we really connected. And I remember I spent the whole night talking to one guy. That's kind of like a no-no, but, you know, I guess that's what I was doing. But we just talked about a bunch of things about the Lord. He talked about the church that he went to, which was a church right down the road, mega church from Citrus Park Mall. And he's like, people are not like this here. People don't, just, people don't want to talk to me. They kind of just want to be there and be seen, but nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to actually see how you're doing. I remember my brother was dating a girl one time, and she came here, and it was around the holidays because I was preaching. I think Yankee may have went up to Georgia. And I went and I talked to her afterwards, and I was like, you know, how'd you like it? And she said, oh, I loved it. I said, do you go to church? She said, yeah, I go to church at X, Y, and Z. And I'm going, that church is huge. Uh, she liked this church over that church. It has all the cool stuff. You know? <laughs> and I asked her, I said, why? What's different? She's like, well, you guys actually like, have the lights on. <laughs> I guess at that church, it's like very dim for effect. And then I said, what else? She's like, you guys read a lot of Bible verses. I had to go on my phone because there was, there was too much going on with the Bible that I was holding. Came to realize that day, thankful for ministries like this. I mean, we went through more scripture tonight. The church that I grew up in, we went through more scripture tonight than we would have in a month in the normal church services. And I remember this, maybe my uncle can back me up on this. I remember it would be like two verses and then it was like the pastor would like take in all this air and just, ah, ah, rah, just like rant and rave. And you could tell who was a deacon because they would say amen from a seated position. And you could tell who was an elder because they would say amen on top of the pew. They would stand up. And I just remember being there as a kid going like, I better not do anything wrong in the sight of God or my pastor because they're going to beat me. And then I came here and you got Dr. Hank Lindstrom. Welcome to Calvary Community Church. Go here, hold your finger here. We're going to go over here, hold your finger here. And I'm like, Mm-mm. I'm holding my Bible like this. I'm like, what is going on? Oh, we're studying the Bible. Man, that was a gift. That was a gift I was blessed with. And I am thankful for that. But I want you to keep these things in mind as we go into the new year. When you're, maybe you're up tonight. How many of y'all are planning on staying up till 12? I asked Janice, and she said, yep. <laughs> How many of y'all are planning on staying up? Okay, all right. Oh, there's some peer pressure. I saw somebody go, all right. <laughs> now, you can close your Bibles. You know, when, when, when you're watching the ball drop and all these different things, you're, you know, whatever. Can you take a moment to just list off the things you're thankful for? Maybe do it before, you know, instead of watching all the, Trust me, there's going to be a bunch of junk on tonight. <laughs> a bunch of junk. Why not just uh, write in your Bible or get a notepad or something on an iPad or something? Just start writing. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. Do it together as a family. That doesn't mean you have to do everything at once there, but just, you know, everybody list five or six things and then take a break for 15, 20 minutes. Come back and list another five or six things and see... How many things you can come up with by the end of the night? 
See how many things you have in common. Oh, you're thankful for that? I'm thankful for that too. And then thank God for them, folks. And do it the next day too. I'm not saying you have to make the list, but keep that list. In one of my Bibles, I used to have a list of names all in the like, first few pages here. And I, I wrote as small as I could. Then I discovered like a notes app <laughs> you know, where I could just do this digitally. But I had a bunch of names of kids that were in my cabin when I was a uh, camp counselor, um, family members on my, on my side of the family, on my wife's side of the family. And you begin to realize, like, man, I'm, I can pray for a lot of people. I can thank God for a lot of people. But if you avoid those things, you're never thankful, you're very self-centered, uh, that's exactly what you'll get. It's, it's just bitterness and sadness and it's not profitable. But if, if that's you today, maybe you're just a bitter and sad person. You're in Christ, but you're bitter and sad. Have an exercise in thankfulness. Have an exercise in humility. And if anything, just look at Jesus and see everything you have there. Amen? Last time this year, I won't be able to do this until next year. I'll let this hand represent you, me, and everybody else in the entire world. Let this represent sin. I put it on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God, he loves us, hates our sin, it separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, you have to be absolutely perfect. The Bible says no one that makes a lie or works abomination can get in. We are all fallen short. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever, and a literal fire-burning hell. We're not saved by any good works that we could do. Good works is not anything that God accepts as far as a sin payment is concerned. All of our good works is filthy rags before the Lord. Somebody's got to die to pay for this sin, and somebody's got to die who has no sin in order to pay for it. It can't be you. It can't be me. And that's why God, in his love, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. And I'm letting this hand represent Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The moment that you, as a sinner, put your faith in the Son of God, whose name is Jesus, you're passed from death unto life, you'll never be brought into condemnation again. And that's something to be thankful for. And if you're not thankful for it, you need to be thankful for it. It's, it's, it's the whole reason why we can have any kind of joy is because we have Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're watching online tonight and you'd like to put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to do so right where you are. Write to us if that's you tonight. We'd love to pray and rejoice with you. Everyone here in the auditorium, I know it's such a good opportunity, especially with the new year starting on the first of the week. But just start today and be a thankful person. Our God is so good. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for this year. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.